Welcome. I'm glad you're with us today. Please take your copy of God's Word and turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, we continue our study from this marvelous book to the church at Thessalonica. And today our topic is the effective Word of God. The effective Word of God. And if you'll notice in your copy of God's Word in verse 13, Paul says, For this reason we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the Word of God which you heard from us, you welcomed it not as the Word of men, but as it is truth, the Word of God, which is also effectively in you who believe, works in you who believes. So the Word of God, it says here, effectively works in you who believe. We've seen the character of the church in Thessalonica. We've seen their faith, their their love and their hope. We have seen that they are a worthy example to others in Macedonia and Achaia as a, as a congregation. We have seen that the condition of the church may have been due to the diligent caring of Paul's ministry uh, while he was with them. We studied that actually last week in verses 1 through 2 of, of chapter 2. And, uh, but it could not have happened were it not for the willingness of them to receive the Word of God. Um, it was preached to them, as we have seen, by Paul and Silas and Timothy, and they received it as they received it as from God, not from men, and consequently it worked effectively in them. In our text today, we're reminded of the effectiveness of God's Word to those who believe it, to those who believe it. And in this study, I want to expound on this thought and to increase our appreciation for and the reception of the Word of God in our lives. Now, there's two ways that we could go about this, and one of them is the way that I naturally would want to go about it is to prove up that the Word of God is exactly what it says it is. But I accept that the Word of God is what it says it is, and so I don't, I'm not going to spend my time proving uh, that it is God's Word. I want you to know I fully accept it as God's Word. I don't understand all of it, but it understands all of me, and it understands all of itself, and I believe that what God has said He means, and He means what He says. And so as a matter of faith, I just accept it cover to cover as the very Word of God, and every word is for life and godliness and righteousness and correction and exhortation and encouragement to my life. And so I just, uh, I make a, a total act of my own volition, my own will to receive it as the Word of God. I do not believe this book was written by men. I believe it was written by God. And so that's, that's how I approach it. But I'm, I want to talk specifically, though, about their effectiveness or the Word of God's effectiveness in the life of the Thessalonian church and in your life. Uh, instead of talking about that it is the Word of God, I want to show you how it is effective. And so the Thessalonians' reception of God's Word, it says in, from another translation, it says, You received the Word which you heard from us and you accepted it not as the Word of men, but for what it really is, the Word of God, which is able to perform its work in those of you that believe. Now that's, that's the New American Standard Version of our verse we're using today. Now Paul was, 
the first to be thankful for the people's willingness to receive the Word of God. They were open and receptive to listening to the preaching uh, from Paul and Silas and Timothy. We know about this from Acts chapter 17. The word received is paralabontes. Paralabontes, the word received, it refers to an objective reception of a particular message. And in the case of... of of this work, it would be the gospel, as is revealed in Acts 16 and Acts 17. And the phrase, the word of God which you heard, literally reads, a word heard from us out from God. A word heard from us out for God, and they re- out of God, out from God. And so they received this message objectively. And the missionaries spoke the words, but those words came from God. And Paul, several times in this letter, refers to this message of the gospel of God. If you look at verse 2, it says, But even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. In verse 8 of chapter 2, it says right here, So affectionately longing for you, We were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Then we have in verse 9 where he says, For you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to anyone. We preach to you the gospel of God. This is all can be cross-referenced over in Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 13. So as the word of God, it was definitely superior to the words of men, the words of humans, and the word of human opinion to the Thessalonians, which they were at this point in time accustomed to hearing because you, you need to remember this is the, this is the cradle of, of the philosophers of that day. Uh, that's the, the, by that time, the teachings of the Stoics and, and so on and so forth, those are the, the Platonists and, and the, those that had learned from Aristotle and Socrates, those things and the many other ones. Uh, had taken root in the soil of that culture. And so this new gospel comes, and because the Thessalonians' strategic location, the city attracted many philosophers, and which I would say were, were uh, you know, their teaching. And then there were many false philosophers, and there were many false teachers. Its residents, therefore, heard a wide range, heard a wide range of human wisdom and tremendous rhetoric, very persuasive speech. But in contrast to all others, when they heard the preaching of Paul and his companions, they accepted it as a true message of salvation from God. So they heard all of the orations of men, of the, the, the humans, the, the human beings, the human philosophers, the human teachers, all of those men of great rhetorical skill, But when the gospel was brought to them by Paul and Silas and Timothy, they received it as words from God, not from men. Now that's really amazing. That's really amazing. That that tells us something about the Word of God being preached. The The Thessalonians' reception of God's Word was subjective as well as objective. In the t- context of, or in the, as you see in your text, it says, they accepted. Uh, The Greek word here for accepted connotes an inward welcome of the message, uh, a transference, if you will, from the mind to the heart. 
They, they received it. They, they welcomed it inwardly. They, they took it in their mind and it went into their hearts. This, uh, this was very, very obvious and such an eager embracing of what the Thessalonians had heard indicated that God had granted them both faith and regeneration. Uh, this is an evidence of God's supernatural working in their lives, going from spiritual death to spiritual life. Luke record, record says it this way, some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas along with a large number of God-fearing Greeks and a number of, of leading women. Now that's in Acts 17.4, the author being Luke, of course. Paul underscored that the Thessalonians affirmed that the message they had accepted was not the word of men. It was the word of God. They, they received this. They received that knowledge. And remember, the, the recipients of Paul's letter knew that what he taught was from God. For example, if you take the Corinthians, the Corinthian letter, he wrote this. He says, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which you also stand. Same context, same concept, rather. For I delivered to you as as of first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture, and that He was buried, and that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. This is part and parcel with the same thing that's taking place with the Thessalonian people, just as it did with the Corinthian people. This happened also with the Galatians. These would be folks over towards Turkey. For I would have... You know, brethren, that the gospel which, you, which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through the revelation of Jesus Christ. That's Galatians chapter 1, 11 through 12. Likewise, the Thessalonians heard uh, Paul preach and they received it as the Word of God, except I want to be very careful that you understand something. I said they received it as the Word of God, it was the Word of God that they received. They received it. It was the Word of God. And unlike the words of men, the Word of God is not empty. It's not inert. It's not powerless. It's alive. It's active. It's sharper than a two-edged sword. The verb rendered performs its work means to work effectively and efficiently and productively on a supernatural or divine level. This is, of course, in keeping with... Uh, with, uh, um, with the concept in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 or Philippians 2 uh, verse 13. That is, God's Word always performs its purpose in the lives of those who believe. Those in the lives who believe. It's specifically Isaiah 55, 11. This is just a, a truth you have to accept. If you want it to work, you have to believe it. Uh, if you want it to work for you, you have to believe it. Uh, you have to accept it. With with all of the all of the questions that people can throw at it, there's a point where faith has to give way, uh, or take its way rather over all the objections of man. You just have to come to a place where I believe it. God said it. That settles it. And He wrote it. He means what He says. He says what He means. So let me show you, I want to give you nine things to write down real quickly if you want to, and then I'm going to expand on some of them as we continue through the message. But, I want, but he talks about here in the passage of how that, you know, he gives thanks because they received the Word of God, 
they heard it from as from God, not as from men, and that it was going to be reflective in their life of having done something, having accomplished something. Well, we know that the Bible uh, works on behalf of believers in a multitude of ways. I'm just going to give you nine of them. One of them is it saves man. It saves man. That's James 1.18. It saves man. It saves them. What First Peter 1.23. The second thing is it sanctifies them. That's John 17.17. 17. Jesus says they're sanctified by your word. They're sanctified by your truth. John 17.17. 17. It matures them in 1 Peter 2, verse 2. It brings a maturing. Number four, it frees them, John 8, 31 and 32. It frees them, frees them. It perfects them. In 2 Timothy 3, 16, verse 17, that's the fifth thing. It perfects them, brings them to completion, brings them to a place of righteousness. In Psalm 119, verse 24, the Bible counsels them. It gives counsel to us. It counsels the believer. In Acts 20, verse 32, it builds up the believer. It builds up the believer. Uh, Joshua 1, 8 through 9, it ensures spiritual success of the believer. It ensures, it ensures the spiritual success of the believer. And then in Psalm 119, 147, in Acts 20, 32, uh, the Word of God gives hope to the believer. So let me just read them. It saves them, it sanctifies them, it matures them, it frees them, it perfects them, it counsels them, it builds them up, it ensures spiritual success, and it gives them hope. Now there's many, many more things that the Scripture works on behalf of believers that it does. There's many more than those. But I want you just to Remember these, it saves, it sanctifies, matures, frees, perfects, it counsels, it builds, it ensures success, spiritual success, and it gives hope. And in spite of its claim to the contrary, human wisdom cannot produce any of these results. Human wisdom cannot produce salvation, sanctification, maturation. It cannot produce true freedom or perfection. It can't give godly counsel. It really can't build a person up to last give spiritual success or really offer much hope because the best man can give us is a message in words that stir up greater self-improvement, greater self-development, self-image, a greater works, greater goodness, greater morality, greater justice, greater equality, greater contentment. But surely all of this is good, but it has one terrible flaw. All of these end. All of them end. Self-improvement ends, self-development ends, self-image ends, work ends, goodness ends, morality ends, justice ends, equality ends, commitment ends. That's the best man can do. The, the words of man, that's the best they can do, whereas God's Word saves and sanctifies, matures, and so on and so on. Everything about a man ends and it dies. Everything. Everything about a man or a woman ends or dies, and ends and dies. That is, the message and the words of men can do more than what a man can do. That's it. They're limited. They're limited only by what a man can do, and man can do no more than die and continue in his te te terrible separation from God in this life. That's all he can do. So that's the best he can hope for, is that it'll end because it's going to end, but he continues to suffer the terrible separation 
from God because he chooses the words of men over the words of God. And the reason is simple. Man cannot save himself. Man cannot save himself. It is impossible for man to save himself. And so the proof is clear. You read about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 18-25. It's Paul's spirit-filled inspired testimony on the emphasis and the folly of human wisdom. And I quote, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it's the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has God not made the foolish the wisdom of the world? And for since the wisdom of God, for since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed Jews ask for a sign and Greeks search for wisdom. That, that, there's so much history to that term right there, the Greek search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jew a stumbling block and to the Gentiles foolishness. But to those who are called, or excuse me as it says as a definite article, but to those who are the called, to those who are the called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So the reality is this, the Thessalonians progress spiritually because they savingly believe the message of the cross. They receive the word of God with gladness and that belief powerfully affected their daily lives in not only saving them but sanctifying them and maturing them and freeing them and perfecting them, counseling them, building them up, ensuring their spiritual success and giving them hope. And so Paul was thankful for this reality just as he was later to the Colossians reception of the word as he says in Colossians 1.6 It is constantly bearing fruit and increasing even as it has been doing in you also since the day you heard it from heard of, since the day that you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. So let me just spend a few moments on the effectiveness of God's Word. Number one, the effectiveness of God's Word. Now there's several things here. One is letter A. It is living, powerful, and able to discern. It is living, powerful, and able to discern. The Word of God is no dead letter. The Word of God is no dead letter. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, it's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of the soul and the spirit, and of the joints and the marrow. It is the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And just as Jesus' Word were both spirit and life, the Bible says in John 6, 63, it is the spirit who gives life, the flesh profits nothing. The Word that I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. Another thing, the effectiveness of the Word of God is is uh, the effectiveness of God's Word is it produces faith. As we hear or read, it is able to develop faith in our hearts, as it says in Romans 10, 13, 10, 17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And it does so through the evidence uh, that it presents, as you can read in John chapter 20. Just look at it real quick. John chapter 20, verses 30 
and 31. It says right here, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and that believing Him you may have life in His name. So, it has the power to save. Letter C, it has the power to save. We're talking it's living and powerful, able to discern. It produces faith, and the effectiveness of God's Word has the power to save. For it contains the gospel, the power of God unto, unto salvation, as he says in Romans chapter 11. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 1, verses 16 and 7. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first and also for the Greek, it is the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as is written, the just shall live by faith. And it's able to save our souls, as it says in James 1.21. It says, Therefore lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with, me with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So you see it's an effective Word. God's Word is effective. The effectiveness of God's Word causes us to be born again because it's by the Word of God He has brought forth. He has brought us forth. As it says in James 1.18, it says, of his, own will he, of his own will He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of His creation. And for the Word of God is an incorruptible seed by which one is born again, as he says in 1 Peter chapter 1, 22 and 23. He says, Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the Spirit and sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart, having been born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible, through the Word of God which lives and abides forever. Again, we're talking about the effectiveness of God's Word. It's living and powerful and able to discern. It produces faith. It has the power to save. It causes us to be born again. And then letter E, it is the key to spiritual growth. It is the key to spiritual growth. We grow by virtue of the Word of God. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, it says, As newborn babes desire pure milk of the Word, that you may grow thereby. And just as newborn babes grow by their mother's milk, you must have the Word of God. That's how you grow. That's how you grow is through the Word of God. It helps us overcome Satan. Every time that you see Jesus tempted in the Scripture, which are three times, you see Jesus tempted, the temptations of Christ. He responds with the Word of God. And I might add, those are not the only times Jesus was tempted. There are other times revealed in the Scripture where He was tempted, and it's not called the temptation of Jesus. Uh... But we also know that there are times that Jesus was tempted that are not recorded in Scripture. Uh, but every time that He is tempted, He is tempted and responds with the Word of God. It helps us overcome Satan. John praised young men who overcame Satan through the Word of God, as it says in 1 John 2.14, I have written to you, fathers, because you have known Him from the beginning. I have written to you, young men, because you are strong, and the Word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the wicked one. And of course, Jesus overcame Satan by appealing to the Word specifically at His temptation in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. The effectiveness of God's Word also possesses the power to sanctify. The power to sanctify, that means to set apart and to make holy. 
as praised by the psalmist in Psalm 197, verse, I'm sorry, Psalm 19, verses 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteousness altogether. More to be desired than gold, yea, more than fine gold, sweeter than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is a great reward. It possessed the power to sanctify not only as praised by the psalmist, but as a prayer of Jesus, as he says again in John 17, 17, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And the last of all, last of all, the Word of God is effective. The effectiveness of the Word of God and it preserves both the young and the old. The young cleanse their ways by taking heed of it, as it says in Psalm 119, verse 9. How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed of your Word. And second of all, the elders were told to, that they could guard against false teachers and apostasy with the help of God's Word in Acts chapter 20, verses 28 through 32, saying, Therefore take heed to yourselves and to all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God which He purchased with His own blood. For I know this, that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. Also from among yourselves men will rise up speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after themselves. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. He's writing that to the elders, uh, the, the, the elders of the congregation, the older folks. He's saying, take, care, take heed of yourself and remember. So we see the effectiveness of God's Word, uh, the effective Word of God. It truly is effective. But as indicated in our text, it must be properly received. So the second part of the text is this, or the second part of the lesson is this, what must be done for God's Word to be effective? For God's Word to be effective. Number two, for God's Word to be effective, letter A, it must be received with faith. It must be received with faith, for it is works, for it for it is works in those who believe. It works in those who believe. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 Right here for this reason we thank God without ceasing because you received the word of God which you heard from us. You welcomed it not as the words of men but it, as it is the truth, the word of God which effectively works in you who believe. For it is God's power unto salvation to those who believe, it says in Romans 1.17. And for it does not profit those who do not receive it in faith. Hebrews 4 verse 2, this is a warning. It will not work if you don't receive it in faith. You don't receive it in intellect. You receive it in faith. For indeed the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, 
but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith. And those who heard it wasn't the ineffectiveness of the preacher. It was the unbelief of the receiver. And the reason it didn't work is because the content, they would not receive it with faith. It would not be mixed with faith. It must be received with faith, and for God's Word to be effective, it must also be received with meekness. The Word must be received in meekness if it is to be if it is to save, that's James 1.21. It's to be received with meekness if it is to save, James 1.21. And for such a person, God is willing to guide and teach that receives the Word of God. That's Psalm 25, verse 9. It must be received by doers. It must be received by doers, not just hearers of the Word, James 1. 22 through 25, a familiar passage to the church. Be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he is. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. And so it has to be received that way. It has to be received as a doer and in obeying the word that our souls are purified. That's 1 Peter 1.22. In obeying the word, that's how our souls are purified. So for the word of God to be effective, it must be received in faith. It must be received in meekness. It must be received by doers. Letter D, it must be fervently desired. It must be fervently desired, like newborn babes longing for their mother's milk, as we've already read in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2. And for the one who meditates on it day and night, it, they are truly blessed. Listen to Psalm 1, 1 through 3. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor seats, sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in a season whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. What a promise of Scripture. This is not only a promise, it's a precept. What a truth. What an absolute truth. It needs to be fervently desired. I think Psalm 1 1 through 3 gives us a great reason to fervently desire it, that whatever we do shall prosper. Isn't that amazing? And then last of all, we must abide in it. Uh, for God's Word to be effective, we need to receive it with faith, with meekness, be doers of it. We need, it needs to be fervently desired, and we must abide in it. If we are to be strong and overcome the wicked one, we must abide in the Word of God, 1 John 2.14. And we are not to sin against God. If we're not to sin against God, Psalm 119 verse 11 says, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. So in conclusion, as we finish, is the living and powerful Word of God effective in our lives? Is it effective in your life? Is it producing faith? 
Is it producing faith, saving us by causing us to be born again? Is it, has that happened or is that happening? Is it producing spiritual growth? Is it manifested by overcoming Satan and sin where you're living holy lives whether you're young or old? Is the Word of God effective in your life? Well, if the Word of God is not making a powerful impact in our lives, could it be we're not receiving it with faith and meekness? Could it be that we're not receiving it as doers, fervently desiring it? Could it be that we're not abiding it? Are we not receiving it with faith, not receiving it with the intention of obeying it? You may be listening to this message right now saying, well, am I going to obey what what he has said? Am I going to, how do I, how do you feel about it? I mean, I've given you the word of God over and over and over and over again. Are you going to obey it? We have not fervently desired it so it cannot abide in us. Is that, would that be a statement you could make? The reality is this, in a case like this where the word of God is not making a powerful impact in our lives, well, then we haven't taken the Word of God seriously, which is completely opposite of what the church at Thessalonica did. Remember, they're a church worthy of imitation. We've read all about that. We've studied that. Chapter 1, they're worthy of imitation. Why was it? They received the Word of God. They received it joyfully. Have you received the Word of God seriously? Have you treated it any different than the words of men? I hope you haven't. Uh, it, it's to be treated as uh, not as the words of man, but the words of God. May the church of the Thessalonians always serve to remind us how we ought to receive the word of God. As I close, you welcomed it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believes. It is my generous prayer, my great prayer, uh, my joy and delightful prayer that you receive the Word of God regardless of the way it's preached, the way it sounds, that you receive it seriously and soberly because it is effective. It will accomplish the purpose it's supposed to accomplish in those who believe. And just as the Thessalonians are worthy to be emulated and imitated, we should no less receive the Word of God as the effective Word of God. We should receive it for the purpose it's intended to make us holy. Amen and amen. God bless you. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your week.